I'm sitting in my apartment in Buenos Aires, Argentina. One of my favorite cities. How are you finding Buenos Aires at the moment with the currency issues and the change in government? Oh, and... it, is, it is just a mess for readers who don't know. So the day I arrived, December 10th, Argentina got a new president and that new president has started to put some restrictions on the ability of Argentinians to send money abroad, which in combination with the fact that Argentina is potentially going to default on its debts again, has sort of sent their currency just all over the map. And you can actually get a significantly better exchange rate on this sort of unofficial blue market. There's like the official rate and then there's the real rate. It does make it a little crazy, but it means that at the moment it's a very affordable destination if you're paying in, you know, dollars or euros. When I first went to Argentina 14 years ago, I think it was really affordable back then. Later on, when I went to live there, we had two or three years where you couldn't buy currency. So it was really, really difficult to get dollars. You had to go to a bank and you had to get pre-approved. It sounds like it's going back to that. Yeah, it's, you know, I think I think a lot of people are monitoring the situation to see how it plays out. Argentina is going to the, the World Bank right now to try to negotiate something on its, on its debt. And whether they default or not is sort of the big outstanding question everybody's looking to see. Yeah. Your thing is emerging destinations. Well, that's one of your things, I suppose. Do you consider Argentina an emerging destination? Would that fit in the criteria? No, I mean, I, I don't. We blog about emerging destinations on the website on Travel Lemming, of course. It doesn't mean that I don't go to places that are a little more established. Buenos yeah. Aires is clearly a, a very well-established travel destination. But one of the things we talk about at Travel Lemming, and really our focus uh, on the site, is I wanted to encourage people to travel, to not necessarily extremely off the beaten path, but to consider the possibility that so much of travel media sort of forces travelers down the same very narrow paths and mm -hmm. to encourage them to think a little more broadly than that. And so that can mean going to places that are, are less heard of. It can also mean even within a, a place that's a little more established, trying to branch out and to go beyond the, the, the typical tourist track. How does your business fit into that? How are you managing to incorporate emerging destinations into your business? We put out Travel Lemming's most famous for an annual list we put out called the Emerging Destination Awards where we engage most of the tourism boards, uh, most of the national level tourism boards in the world submit nominations. And then we have a panel of judges who are made up of really the, the top travel bloggers in the travel industry. We put out that list and it gets quite a bit of press every year. And it gets press because it's typically a list filled with places that people don't expect to be yeah. interesting places to travel, but that are really interesting. And then we spend the following year writing about those places, or as many of them as we can. Uh, last year's list was 30 places. And so hopefully we'll write guides on as many of those as we can. I, pl I plan to visit many of them, the ones I haven't been to. We hire writers and other ones, and then we put out those guides and and we try to use that to build our audience. And then the rest of the business is a simple travel blog business. You earn money through ads and affiliates and all of the normal things that travel bloggers do. Are you running tours at the moment or anything like that? Are you getting into you that know, kind of area? I haven't done tours. A lot. I have a lot of friends who do tours. Mm. And I have definitely thought about doing tours to Mexico or to Georgia, which are two of the places. Uh, where I have a lot of content and a lot of followers, but I, gosh, it just sure sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? A hell of a lot um, of work. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I don't mean just like a lot of work relative to the money that you're going to earn for yeah, it. Yeah. I know that people do make good tours when you can do them in mass and once you get a system down, but it seems like that first tour is a whole lot of work and probably not going to 
you're probably not going to make enough to justify the energy you put into it. So you need to kind of make it a, the ones who seem to be successful at it really are doing tours every couple months. Maybe someday down the line, that's something we'll look into. But at the moment, we're really focused on trying to grow the site. It's a younger travel blog. So we got some catch up to do with other blogs out there. Is the travel blog your main source of income? At the moment, it's my only source. Yes. You used to be a corporate lawyer. So that's you true. moved from being a corporate lawyer to a travel blogger. How was that kind of change? Not the usual career progression. No. I did go to undergrad for communications. And at one point I was planning to become a a political communications guru and decided against that, went to law school thinking I wouldn't be a lawyer. turns out when you go to law school, they tend to force you down the path of becoming a lawyer. Um, And then when you graduate with a quarter million dollars in debt, there's very little you can do to pay that off other than take a high paying law job. So that's what I did. And once I sort of got that debt under control, After about five years of practicing as a civil litigator at a big firm, I set out to travel. And then I didn't set out to become a travel blogger. I just sent out because I wanted to travel. And then along the way, started the blog. And the blog has grown. You know, when I started it, I never really, you know, I I wanted it to to potentially be something that would grow into what it's grown into. But I, I think in the back of my mind, it was sort of a side thing for quite a while. At some point, it took off. And then some point about a year ago, I realized, you know, this is actually what I enjoy doing and it's 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 making money and uh, so let's just focus on that full time yeah it's a fantastic blog by the way congratulations what kind of numbers are you getting on that how many visitors per month if you don't mind sharing that information sure yeah I mean we get about a hundred thousand sessions which is usually the the metric that I look at per month that can be a bit higher during our emerging destination awards when we get a lot of referral traffic social traffic stuff like that but in terms of regular recurring traffic, that's about where we're at. And you know, but that's that's a relatively recent number to have hit six figures on sessions. You know, I mean, it was, gosh, I've only been on Mediavine, which requires you to hit twenty five thousand sessions for a little over a year. So it's been pretty fast that growth. I heard you on another podcast. I can't quite remember which one it was. I think that was the second time I heard you. But I was just looking at the emerging destinations again, and I see that you mentioned Georgia. Georgia's number one and the Judges' uh, Choice Award. And I think uh, you were talking on a podcast recently about how Georgia was your favorite country. I, I love Georgia, by the way, but tell me about your experiences there. Yeah, yeah. I make the rounds on the podcast, so yeah. at least hopefully haven't gotten tired of hearing my voice yet. So Georgia <laughs> is, I will tell anybody who will listen about how amazing Georgia is, because I genuinely believe that it's the world's most underrated travel destination at the moment. And it's also a country that can really use, it's a place where travelers can really do a lot of good because the Georgian economy at the moment is hurting after Russia shut down flights to Georgia and Georgians really want visitors. Like I've never been to a place where the locals are as excited about the prospect of me promoting their country as they are in Georgia. And it's such an incredible country because if you think about the world's great civilizations in Europe and the Middle East and Asia and and in Russia, like Georgia's in the middle of all of that. And there's so much history that has flown, has, has sort of come through Georgia over the centuries or really over the millennia. And that's reflected in everything there, everything from the architecture to the culture to the food. And yet at the same time, Georgia maintains its very own unique, its own unique culture. It has its own language family that's like completely disconnected from any other language family, which is something very few other places can say. And it has um, its its sort of own culture, but is is has been influenced by almost every other culture in the world at some point. And so I just find it a totally fascinating place to go. It's super affordable at the moment. 
you know, I often tell people it's like a European style destination, but on a Southeast Asian budget, uh, because it really is probably comparable to about Thailand at the moment in terms of how much it costs. I found the same. It is about on par with Thailand. One thing for long-term travelers and uh, digital nomads is Georgia is a lot more attractive because they give you a year visa on arrival, which you can just renew. Yeah, that's right. And you, you can yeah. just hop over the border to Armenia and come back and get another year. Yeah, if for it, some reason, you didn't leave during that year. So you can basically go to Georgia for as long as you want. Forever. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, and it's super easy if you want to open a business, you want to do business there. I think they have a very progressive attitude about the positive benefits of, of foreign money. Have you talked to many people that have opened businesses in Georgia, foreigners or digital nomads or travel entrepreneurs, for example, because I'm sure there's opportunities and they seem to make it quite easy to start yeah. a business there. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I have several friends who have done that. Okay. Quite a few friends who have, have moved either their businesses or their money to Georgia. I've looked into it myself when I did start to suss out the idea of running tours there. And it's very easy. I have a taxpayer ID number in Georgia because you need it for when I ship some stuff over there for importation. And it was a matter of like 10 minutes. You just go to the office, you give them your passport, the lady punches some stuff in, sign a paper, leave. And that is what I've heard in terms of how the system works generally. I mean, obviously there's a bit of a language barrier and stuff, but they generally tend to speak English in those offices and they tend to make it pretty easy. So if you want to do business there, it's not a tax haven quite as much as some other places are, but it does have pretty low taxes, but it's very easy to get set up and to do business. And I know a lot of people are moving um, their money there. I've actually looked myself at potentially buying a property there because it's crazy how, how affordable a quality one bedroom apartment in Tbilisi, you can get something for 30 or 40,000 US, like to own. And uh, and so, you know, I've looked at doing that and it's it's a pretty straightforward process as well. I have some other friends who have looked in doing that and maybe, maybe that's something I'll end up doing before the year's over. One thing I find that stands against it is the flight connections are not so good. Oh my gosh. It's like three o'clock in the morning is generally you're going to arrive. You aware of the background as to why that is? It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. And Georgia still, I, I love Georgia, but it's one of those places where the gears of government are very slow and there's still a issue of corruption and stuff like that. And I, for whatever reason, they decided to lease out their airport on a long-term lease to a Turkish company, which turn around and immediately because it was affiliated with Turkish Airlines, said nobody but Turkish Airlines and the Georgian National Airline are allowed to fly during the daytime. And so that's why you see all these flights coming in the middle of the night, or at least they charge some crazy taxes if you try to fly during the day. And it's a really unfortunate situation. But if you're listening, don't let that stop you from going to Georgia. And you also have the option of flying to Kutaisi, where Wizz Air flies from several destinations, including London and Budapest. And Ryanair just opened up flights from Milan, Milan and maybe yeah. a couple other places in Europe mm. to uh, Tbilisi. So it's getting easier. There, there's an AirAsia X flight as well to Chiang Mai that most people don't know about. It's been a little off and on, but yeah, uh, to Bangkok, I think. Bangkok, I'm sorry. Yeah. Georgia, in a way, is, as you mentioned, is a big link on the Silk Road. It could be a stopping off point or a jump off point for some of the other destinations on your list, like Kyrgyzstan. Do you have Uzbekistan there? Yeah, we've, we do have Uzbekistan on there. And we've had much of Central Asia over the years yeah. because it's definitely one of the big emerging regions. The challenge with Georgia is, is that you have to get over the Caspian Sea in order yeah. to get to the rest of Central Asia. So because of the tensions with Russia, that whole northern border is closed mm. and sort of going down through Azerbaijan and Iran and around isn't really 
feasible. So the only other option is taking a boat if you're going overland. So basically you have to fly. So unfortunately yeah. from a, just the geography isn't as great as it could be given current geopolitical status, but it's still a nice location because time-wise you can work anywhere in Europe very easily, but you can also engage with folks. Like I have a couple of uh, VAs for me that work in the Philippines and the time zone's much better there than it is say here in Buenos Aires. Pretty much the entire of the Eastern Hemisphere is within your zone of work time. Do you have a big team or are you just using VAs? And tell me a bit about that. Sure. I have two VAs that work for me that do back-end technical stuff, graphics, all that sort of thing. And then we also hire freelance writers. This year, we're starting a new project where we're trying to hire local freelance writers in our winning destinations that won our Reader's Choice Award on the Emerging Destinations Award and have them build out locals' guides to our winning destinations. So I'm working on a few for Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island, which were at the top of our list in North America this year that we hope to publish soon, and then we'll roll the rest of those out. So it's a lot of freelancers and the two VAs working for me full-time. Do you do much writing on the blog? yourself these days? Well, I'm trying to do more, Keith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, as you probably know, one of the challenges of starting like a travel blog is you start, you write all this stuff, nobody reads it. Yeah. And then over time, you sort of figure out that, oh, the hardest part of travel blogging isn't writing, it's the marketing of your blog and getting it out there. Figure that out and you get the audience. And then before you know, like all of the various tasks that are involved in travel blogging, affiliate marketing, SEO, making sure all the technical stuff set up, doing all your social media, reaching out to contacts, managing your own, you know, the people that you have working for you, eat up your entire day. I think it was the second half of last year, I wrote an article every two or three months, which was really sad. And so this year, I'm making a more concerted effort to just take days where I just say, you know, today I'm just writing and trying to write at least an article a week, which these days is, is a challenge to find that time. I totally agree with you. Do, do you have any particular tools or services that you can't run your business without? Yeah, I mean, we use Trello, of course, which probably mm. um, as people people know I, it's a solid productivity management software. And then we use Thrive Architect as our page builder on the site. I really quite like it. I haven't played around with the popular competitors like Elementor, but Thrive Architect runs really well, at least for me as somebody who's non-technical. And until I had someone with back-end experience, being able to design a web page or just get the technical aspect of it set up was such a mess. And so that's been a real lifesaver for sure. They do lead forms. They have a whole course that runs on their own course system. So you don't need like Teachable or something like that. And it's an annual membership. It's not that expensive considering all of the value they provide. I think if I had to say one thing, that would be it. And how important is your email list? Is that something that well, you factor in as a major marketing channel? You know, it should be. It's Email is hard because it, it's super important, right? It's the only channel that you truly control. People talk about SEO as if it's um, it has a leg up on Facebook or Instagram because Facebook or Instagram can change tomorrow and suddenly stop sending you as many clicks as they are. And they've done that many times in the travel space, but so can Google, by the way. Email is truly the only channel where you own it yourself. You have to worry about deliverability, but generally speaking, people read their emails and I get open rates of 40, 50%. It's a way better way of reaching people than posting on Facebook or on Instagram. With that said, email seems to work best these days when it's highly segmented and highly targeted. And when you have a travel site that covers a broad variety of destinations, it's a lot better to send somebody information who's coming to the site and looking for, they came to our site and they read some article about 
some destination in Mexico, we should send them a totally different set of emails than what we send to somebody who comes and looks at our digital nomad articles. The problem with that is it just takes time to create all those email sequences and get them set up. So where we've done it, it's been very effective. Um, And it's something I want to continue to build out, like specific targeted email series that follow up based on what that individual person was reading and what we think they might be interested in. What's your preferred social media channel? Um, none. (laughs) I mean, if we're being honest, I genuinely don't think that social media is not important to my business. Other than the fact that our annual awards sort of go viral on Facebook, that's important. And that happens kind of independent of my blog. Our post does get a fair amount of traffic, but most of it happens off of our particular page. You know, I just think it's a challenge because all of these social media sites have a total incentive to keep people on their site and they're not going to send you over to somebody else's site. So unless you're engaged with monetizing content on Instagram, like through, you know, putting a sponsored post on or something, it's hard to make money off of it. I don't think I make anything off of Instagram. I think I just do it for brand building. Uh, And the same is true of Facebook. Twitter, I use a bit because journalists are on Twitter. But, you know, honestly, if every social media platform died off tomorrow, it wouldn't really impact my bottom line that much. The one that's probably would have the biggest impact is Pinterest, because Pinterest actually does drive traffic. But Pinterest, in my mind, isn't a social media. It's a search engine. A visual search engine. Yeah. Yeah. And so is YouTube. YouTube is the world's second largest search engine. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with you on the social media channels. What's the most difficult thing about running a business while you travel? Oh, gosh, so many things. <laughs> if I had to, you're putting me on the spot. But if I had to say, I would think, I think it's definitely like keeping a routine down and dealing with distractions, right? Because with travel, there's always something interesting to do. You know, I'm always like looking at cheap flights that will take me down to Patagonia every week. And I'm like, I could just go to Patagonia for three days. Why don't I do that? Because I'm here in Buenos Aires. But on the other hand, I know that that will eat into my work time and can be uh, a challenge in terms of productivity. What I found over time is that traveling slower is better in terms of being able to manage that balance and be able to still appreciate a destination, but give yourself more time to do it so that you can make sure it's not distracting from your work. I wanted to talk to you about the digital nomad life, which I suppose ties into this a little bit. And I think in the first three or four years where the word digital nomad was becoming a lot more known, there were a lot of articles online about how great it was and, you know, guys sitting on the beach on a laptop, totally unrealistic. But I think in the last year or two, I've seen a lot of articles about the downsides of digital nomadism. I'm wondering what your take is on it. Is it an amazing lifestyle? Is it tough? Is it just the same as working in an office somewhere, but you have the freedom to travel? I guess I would say it depends, which isn't the most satisfying answer, right? For sure, the case that a couple of years ago, you had all these people posting photos of themselves with laptops on the beach, which doesn't work, by the way. Like, sand and sun do not mix well with with laptops, people. It's a joke. Like, I went out and took a photo one time just to, like, to to post on social media about how silly this is. You can't even see your screen. Um, On the other hand, it's a popular topic now to come down on digital nomads and say, oh, it's this lonely, like, miserable lifestyle. I don't think that's true. I think it is what you make it, right? I think a lot of people come to the digital nomad life because they're struggling with something back home. Because back home, they're unhappy with their work, they're unhappy with their life, they feel bored, they feel dull, they want to experience the world, whatever those sort of common reasons for becoming a digital nomad are. It is true that getting out and traveling can definitely help with some of that stuff. 
But if you have a fundamental problem with your life, like simply becoming a nomad isn't going to solve it. And I think a lot of people think it's a bigger cure all than it really is. And so for that reason, I, I just think sometimes people suffer from having these like crazy high expectations and they get out there and they realize like, oh, this doesn't fix everything. Do you have any advice for anybody who is thinking about traveling and starting a business online? I'm talking about a travel business that they run while they're traveling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you have to be very considered about what your game plan is in terms of your finances long term. Because one, if you're going to go travel the world and become a digital nomad, and if you're going to become an entrepreneur, those are two separate decisions that are often combined, right? People say, I'm going to go travel and start a business. But those are two completely separate decisions and they don't necessarily always play well together because one challenge with starting a business, including a travel blog, by the way, which is just essentially a small business, is that you have to invest in the business. You have to invest time and money up front. And oftentimes with most business models, a small business isn't going to generate an income for the owner until significantly into it, sometimes a couple years. If you're going to travel and start a business at the same time, that can be a challenge. So what I would say is either start your business if you're committed to the entrepreneur path before you leave so that you have the income ready when you go or start your business, but also have a separate source of income, either in the form of a remote job or freelancer work, which is probably one of the most common forms of uh, of, of getting work as a, as a digital nomad so that your business has the time and the runway that it needs to be able to breathe without you sucking so much of a salary out of it that your business can't succeed. Cool. Where is your favorite destination and where is the number one place you would like to visit, but you've never been? Yeah. So favorite destination is Georgia for all the reasons we talked about in terms of places I want to go. You know, Sri Lanka is really high on my list. Mm. I've heard just so many great things about it. And we had it on our list the year before last. It was one of our big winners. And so many of our judges were really impressed by it. And I just haven't had the time to go down there. But it's supposed to be really affordable. And, and people say that it's, you know, it's like a more authentic version of Bali. This is what I hear. The culture is similar. I've never been to Sri Lanka, but somebody described it as like Bali. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I hope to get there sometime later this year and check it out. Nate, if people want to learn more about you, where do you suggest people go to? Just come on to Travel Lemming. The best thing you can do is sign up for our email list because that's where we get sort of most direct contact to folks. And you can definitely make sure that you'll catch our emails. We'll send over lots of travel tips and stuff. You can browse the website there. And of course, I'm on all the social medias. Instagram stories is usually the place where you can you can catch me at my most silliest and authentic sort of day-to-day -day life if that's something you're interested in. And otherwise, I would suggest going to the Awesome. Nate, thank you very much for your time. Best yeah, of luck in the future. Glad to have you on, Keith. And uh, I, I, I just love your website. Your homepage is just one of the most beautiful, uh, beautiful website designs I've seen in a while. Oh, thank you. Uh, all, all my own work. <laughs> Great. Oh, very good. Very thank good. you, Nate. Thank you. All right. Thank uh, you.